What's going on? We're back with the Namra podcast part two with Nick Hayes. Um, and we wanted to do this as uh, make sure that these episodes kind of follow each other right away because of everything that's going on with UST and some of the current events in the news. So welcome back, Nick. Thank you. Under uh, some really odd circumstances and kind of shitty circumstances really in the crypto world right now. So um, first, I just want to like kind of start off with having you explain what the past couple weeks have been like, what's been going on for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the news, some of like the biggest crypto news ever, right? I mean, one of the biggest events ever. Um, So I'd like you to kind of explain that. And then maybe we can go over some things that we didn't really touch on enough, um, like the inherent risks that are involved in crypto and, and, you know, some things that we really want to touch on more this episode. So can you kind of unpack a little bit about what's going on for those people who haven't been keeping up with this? Right. Yeah. So just like you said, the first time that we talked, we didn't really talk about a lot of the inherent risks that come with crypto. So definitely want to make sure that for, especially the people that are new to crypto, they understand a lot of those risks that do come along uh, with the new technology that is being built. Yeah. And to be very clear, this is not investment advice at all. This is a podcast (laughs) to talk, to share information, to talk to cool people, not to give you investment advice whatsoever. So say that again for the people in the back. Right. So last time we talked about Terra uh, UST, which is a decentralized stablecoin and anchor protocol, which I described as basically a decentralized bank. Uh, It's a lending and borrowing protocol uh, that you can earn high high interest yield basically in the last month since this uh and how long were people like how long was this going on like it was yielding 19 20 for over a year right yeah over a year um basically to kind of recap what terra is um the founder originally wanted to create a decentralized stable coin uh, because he believed that decentralized economies need decentralized money backing them which um, you know a lot of people in the industry agree with, and I still think long term will come to fruition because right now basically all of crypto is run on these centralized rails through centralized stablecoins, USDC and USDT, which are backed by you know centralized companies. So those have their own inherent risks involved with them. You know USDC is run by Circle; it's a U- U.S. Uh, company. If the government says tomorrow that they want to freeze that bank account that all the funds are in. USCC is basically worth nothing um, mm-hmm. until they unfreeze the bank account and basically all the liquidity would dry up. Uh, USDT is run by a foreign company. Their reserves have been you know, shady at best, whether they are fully backed one-to-one. Um, a lot of their backing and their reserves are you know, commercial paper. Which I'm assuming it's not super transparent. for Exactly, the yeah. So th- that's always kind of been a... Uh, a shadow over the industry that that could you know, be a ne- the next black swan event, you know, similar to this UST debacle. So the founder's name is Doquan wanted to create this decentralized money. Um, but with decentralized stable coins, cause they can't be backed one to one with real dollars in a bank account. They inherently have to be algorithmic kind of run on code um, and through these incentive mechanisms that are done on chain. So, it was basically fairly stable for the last year, year and a half. Um, there was some slight depegging events where it went off the dollar, but uh, basically the mechanism worked where it uh, came back to peg uh, every time previously. The real problem with it is that this anchor protocol, um, it was paying out 19.5% you know, over again the last year and a half. 
at first it was actually making a profit. And then as it grew popular, more and more people were depositing funds, but not utilizing it enough to generate enough revenue to become really, really sustainable. So people weren't using like loaning against it. Right. Exactly. Yep. So they were just using it for the interest bearing. Right. So the company Terraform Labs, they at first started to fund it with their own money, you know, and it was basically a marketing spend where there was just customer acquisition. They funded it with like $70 million. That was like the yield reserve and, you know, whatever that uh, deficiency was, they would cover that. Um, And that did a really good job of bringing a ton of people into the ecosystem. A lot of builders came into the ecosystem and, you know, the price of Terra, which is, or Luna, which is the um, coin backing it, you know, exploded in growth. And so to just pause right there. So at this point we have, we have UST, so Luna, Mm -hmm. Terra Luna, and then we have the anchor protocol, which is how, how can you describe like what that is in comparison to it for those people like listening at home? It's basically just a, an application that's built on top of the protocol. So I know last time we talked about Ethereum, it Mm -hmm. being a smart contract platform that you can build applications and businesses on top. It's basically the same thing. It's a business that's built on top of that platform. On top of, yeah, Terra. Um, so yeah, this bank, you could call it, um, was paying out this high yield, even though it was technically running a deficit um, because the Terra team was just funding it with their own capital to attract users into the ecosystem to start using UST and other ecosystem projects. The problem really occurred, you know, last October um, in November when the market started to like sell off and there was some top signals, people were started to sell into cash. And at that time started to sell into UST, which was actually a good thing for the ecosystem because you know people started to you know buy UST and the market cap of it exploded it went from like two billion dollars up to I think fourteen or fifteen billion at the at the top so it just exp- basically as- people were trying to put their money there to stay safe that yeah, was a safe to, place to, to put their money exactly um, and to gain some yield while the market was going down yep. um, but in doing that it depleted that yield reserve like significantly. So initially, you know, I think last summer it drained that $70 million went away. They then funded it again and then they funded it again with like another $500 million. Because people weren't utilizing it. They weren't taking loans out against it to, to replenish that yield. It wasn't making money. Correct. And everybody, you know, since the beginning, I said this, this is, you know, not, going to last long term. It, it sounds it, like the US social security system where we just keep putting money into it, into it, it or yeah, taking out of it. Everyone knew that it wasn't sustainable, you know, in the forums, people talked about it, you know, all day arguing about how to make it more sustainable. The, the problem that ended up occurring is that they implemented these changes to make it more sustainable, you know, probably four to six months too late. So actually last month, um, they implemented this, uh, this dynamic change to the interest rate where it would drop until it basically reached that parity level to where it was like a break even. Got it. Um, so it dropped from nineteen and a half percent to 18. It was going to go down to 16 and a half and until it reached that parity level. Um, and at that point it would become sustainable. They would no longer really have to top it up with any new funds. Um, and therefore, you know, they could slowly drop the deposits of USD over time if people weren't happy with the 16% that they could pull out, but it wouldn't, people wouldn't pull out all at once if they dropped it from like say 20% to 10, because that could cause that de uh, yeah. event. So they were trying to do that slowly. So, you know, we probably had, you know, six months of runway before we became sustainable, um, or at least the ecosystem did. Um, yeah, the problem is that then when the market started to sell off, 
people took their UST out of the system and then, you know, sold UST on the open market. And a lot of these large whales, you know, also took their funds out and really started market dumping it on the centralized exchanges and the decentralized exchanges causing, you know, basically every exchange to go off peg and people started to freak out. And basically there was a bank run on the system where everyone pulled out, out at once and the whole thing just completely collapsed and caused what's called this like death spiral. Um, so yeah, that's what's happened since uh, the Luna tokens gone to zero. Yeah. Uh, they're actually relaunching it today. Uh, don't know what will really come of that, if there'll be any value in the ecosystem as is without the USC stablecoin. But now, how is this different than so? Say, because businesses in the open market can go into death spirals very quickly and mm-hmm. very, very similarly, right? Correct. Um, now, how would you say that this is different than one of those events? Um, and how does that outlook going forward, you know, what is that going to be like moving forward? Is anyone going to trust this thing to invest in it again? You know, it, because again, they, I'm assuming they're still going to fund it and offer high interest yield rates. Well, so they're doing away with the stable coin. I don't think that they're going to give another attempt at UST, um, at least not in its current form. There is some talk that maybe they're going to try to have like some fully backed decentralized stablecoin. There is some other ones like say there's one called DAI and Frax that are almost, you know, fully backed. So they might try that in the future, but for now they're just going to relaunch the chain um, just as a smart contract platform like Ethereum without their native stablecoin. Yeah. Um, there's going to be like less value capture because of that. So whether the new Terra chain competes just against the rest of the layer ones, hard to say. Okay. Um, th- there is like a lot of value that was created and a lot of really smart people and good, you know, user experiences on these uh, applications that were built. Um, and that is what you know attracted me to it initially was uh, all the innovation that was being done. But I already know that some of the main players and like venture partners that were backing it have basically pulled out or like not really given their support to the new chain. Um, a lot of like the big builders have kind of left. So I'm personally fairly bearish on it. I'm you know not as interested as it was previously. But. So now what does this mean for the, like what at the end of the day, we hear, okay, this coin went to zero. Mm. What is the actual, like, what does that fucking mean for people who had like a thousand bucks invested in anchor protocol? To give you an idea from the top, I think Terra or Luna token was, you know, 116 to 120, somewhere in that range, just a few months ago. It's trading at fractions of a penny now. So basically- 116? Yeah, dollars, yeah. Yeah. To basically nothing now. Um, UST, some people are still trading it. Like, I think it's worth six or seven cents. Yeah. Or sorry, uh, yeah. So, yeah, six, six or seven, seven cents. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. So, the inherent risks. Let's talk about that. How the fuck did this happen? Like, how does something that was essentially pegged on the dollar and it was marketed as something that was safe go to kind of like go to zero? Or, I know we just kind of talked about that, but what talked about some of the risks of crypto in general and why this is part of the game so to speak yeah so again every single thing that you invest in especially in crypto will have their own risks or what are called like tail risks you know the one in a million chance yeah and this was far greater than that um there's plenty of people that from the beginning were very skeptical of it ever succeeding um and you know those tail risks did come to fruition every single there's been a lot of uh, other attempts at these decentralized stable coins and all of them basically have uh, failed and failed in that death spiral has occurred. 
the problem is not having enough backing to it. So Terra was working on creating some type of decentralized backing to the uh, to the UST stablecoin. So at this time, they had, had like $4 billion in backing um, that was basically allow people to sell their UST into Bitcoin um, instead of the Luna token. If people didn't believe in like the Luna token, um, I don't really want to get into the dynamics of how like UST and Luna worked. It's a little bit more yeah, much for this conversation, but um, basically it's just faith in the system. Um, there wasn't enough faith in the system to keep enough buying pressure to buy the UST token back to peg. Um, and once that faith collapsed, then the whole thing just basically went to so zero immediately. It, it goes back to like, it sounds like the whales, so to speak. And like this happens in NFT projects too, where whales come in and buy everything or whatever. And it makes it impossible for the individual user to actually get a hold of something. So is that just an inherent problem with this? Is there any way that decentralized currencies and crypto like can keep those people out? Do you want to keep them out? Like, how do you feel about that? Because it seems like every big, like happened pump and dumps in the fucking wall on wall street happens. Still the whales come in, buy everything, sell everything, and they can move the market. So what are your thoughts on that? Is, that, are, is that the problem? I don't really think it's the problem per se. Um, you know, having a lot of money, you need a lot of money in the system to create liquidity so that you, you have a tighter, you know, more efficient market. You know, when there's very little liquidity in the market, that's when you see these massive spreads and like retail <laughs> ends up a lot of times getting more hurt. You know, in the traditional market, it's a very efficient market. So the whales can't manipulate it as much. They can manipulate it a lot more now, but you also need that capital in the system in order to create the efficiency long term. So I don't really say it's inherently bad, but because it's not like fully regulated, uh, I think the manipulation can be a little bit easier, um, yeah. even though, you know, everything is transparent and like can be tracked on chain. Um, maybe in the future, some, you know, whale manipulation is, you know, they're held accountable for it, um, yeah. just like in the traditional market. But um, it's hard to say. Uh, I don't really have like an opinion one way or another on that. Um, no, not, it, and it's a like my again. It's, I, I don't know this stuff. So like the thought for me would be like, okay, decentralized currency. If it's truly decentralized, why do we need the whale? Like, what percentage of Terra and Luna um, was like? Was it like eighty twenty? Like it, ten, you know, say you're eight, like say 10, 10 whales or whatever, a hundred whales or whatever. Did they have like 80% of this shit? And then the rest was like just your traditional retail buyer, like you or I, I think the majority of like the USC ownership and Luna probably was controlled by whales. Uh, the, the chain Terra was definitely not decentralized in like what crypto native people would consider decentralized, like really only Bitcoin and Ethereum are like truly decentralized at this point. Right. Everything else is kind of running on these, or they're definitely run on a centralized, like, you know, systems where there's not very many validators that are, you know, protecting the, uh, the network and they're kind of controlled by these centralized entities mm -hmm. um, that are making the decisions on behalf of what happens as far as the development in the chain. Um, so yeah, Terra definitely wasn't decentralized in really either manner. Um, mm -hmm. But the goal usually is to become more decentralized over time. Like Ethereum when it first launched and Bitcoin when it first launched was not decentralized. They become decentralized as they grow. Um, Which is like the op. Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. The opposite of a traditional. Way. Yeah, and, and and that's a that's a big argument kind of right now. Um, is same thing with like DAOs. Uh, these, decentralized autonomous organizations, um, which, you know, very well may be the future of like the LLC. We can, I don't know if we want to talk about that at all, but um, you're seeing 
a lot of uh, issues with people trying to decentralize too early because that's uh, kind of the ethos of crypto is creating this decentralized um, network. But when you do that too early, then it's hard to actually maintain governance. And like, if you give it to the community to make decisions too early, a lot of times the there's um, bad incentives to you know try to make it more profitable for yourselves, and then you know bad for the organization. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll end up either having like a whale or like someone with you know buys one coin and then you know puts out a bad proposal or you know votes on something when they don't really even understand the system, and it kind of just throws off you know, the direction of uh, where the project's going. Like one example is like Sushi Swap is a competitor. It's a decentralized exchange. Um, it's a competitor to Uniswap. It was like the first kind of DAO model of uh, these decentralized exchanges that uh, was doing really well for a while and is basically like fully collapsed because they're, a lot of the founders ended up kind of get kicked out by the community and then there was no one running the ship and then it's just kind of collapsed with no leadership. So it, it's uh, a balance of chaos and order on these things. Yeah, exactly. Kind of crazy. Yeah. So, wow. That's very interesting. Okay. Um, so for the normal everyday person, you know, you taught me or taught, like told me to grab a ledger, which I got and still haven't even like opened, you know, <laughs> but which I'm working on. Um, <clears throat> but we're looking at obviously like things are down right now in the crypto web 3.0 world side of things. Excuse mm -hmm. me for using those like buzz terms. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you, if you're just like a normal person at home who's working a nine to five job, maybe they're paying rent, whatever, they're just chilling and they have like a couple bucks in their bank account. Like what is the appropriate way to like look at investing or not, not to give advice, but like what do most people do? If like someone out there is just getting into it, like what do you see as a normal way to invest? What's a safe way to invest? Um, how can people get involved? Is now a bad time to get involved? Like, you know? Yeah, again, this is all my opinion. All um, your opinion, not financial yeah, advice. Yeah, do your own research. Um, but you can look at what a lot of like the, say the billionaires are doing. So Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank or, you know, Mark Cuban, yeah. a lot of them start with 5% of their net worth into crypto as kind of an experiment. You know, they'll start with the big ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum you're generally going to be relatively safe in those long-term, you know, quote-unquote safe. From there, as you get comfortable and you start to do your own research and understand the ecosystem, maybe you start to tail out into some of these other altcoin layer ones, um, what have you, uh, and, you know, eventually maybe increase that to, you know, 10 20% as you get comfortable with it. But I would say you probably want to wait a year or two of like really doing that research and being involved in the ecosystem before you get learn about it first. Yeah. Before you go beyond that. Cause a lot of people, they do two weeks of research, feel like they're an expert and really they don't know anything. They listen to, you know, a bunch of people on YouTube that are just shilling them garbage. And then they put like their whole net worth into something and lose it all. And then they, yeah, I mean it, so that's all I'd say is do your research and be conservative at first. Stay with within the top probably a couple of coins. Um, it's yeah. about it, for me, like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I had to be more interested in learning about it in general and just like prepping myself and giving myself armor because I know in 10 years this is where the world is going. So like for me, it was, okay, I need to do this just because I want to learn about it. I'm curious about it. Not so much. I want to make money. Like mm -hmm. if you kind of get into it right off the bat and you're just like, 
I'm going to get rich quick. It's like, just like anything else, you're probably going to get fucked. Like, yeah, you're even going if, to screw yourself over. Even if you make money in the short term, you're going to end up losing it because yeah. then you get overconfident. You know, that's probably the worst thing that you can do is be successful right off the bat. It, so. you turn, it becomes gambling yeah. if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's a lot of people just say it's a big casino, which to an extent they're right. Um, mm-hmm. And you've seen a lot of like scams pop up over this last year. And that's another security thing is there's a million scams in the space, uh, especially in like the NFT world. Um cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk um, about that. What are some like, all right, give me like as many as you can name off the top of your head, like number one, like, or top five things to look out for. Number one for me, because my buddy did it is if you go on OpenSea for NFTs or whatever, like make sure it's a verified project because there's like, they can just name it the same thing or make it look similar and just it's bullshit. Yeah, and he bas- did that. And he yeah, basically make sure it has like a check mark next to it. Um, yeah. That's a big one on OpenSea. Honestly, I wouldn't recommend anyone getting to NFTs without like, <laughs> already being, you know, pre-crypto native and yeah. understanding it because um, you will lose money. That's like the riskiest thing that you can do within crypto is get into NFTs um, because they all are illiquid and often go to zero. Um, I mean, even some of like the big projects, like there's one called the Zuki recently that was basically considered like a blue chip project by a lot of people in the space. And uh, basically, I don't know, the founders kind of like rugged it. I don't actually know the full details of it, but... Um, rugged it means a rug pull. They just fucking bailed. Yeah, yeah. So it's... I can't really give a lot of advice as far as uh, NFTs specifically either. But um, yeah, I just understand that a lot of... 99.99% of NFTs specifically are going to go to zero. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, go, going back to getting a ledger, a ledger is a, a hardware device. Um, it's, it's a, what's called a cold storage wallet um, that's never connected online. And basically you can self-custody your assets. Uh, so that's a big thing about crypto is that like you can become your own bank. I think we generally talked about this last yeah. time. Um, but there, there's also, you know, inherent risk of holding your own coins, say your Bitcoin on an exchange on say a Coinbase or a Kraken or whatever it may be. Um, because that exchange, you know, could go bankrupt. They could, you know, get hacked themselves. They could lose your funds. Um, they could have their assets frozen. And in fact, uh, the founder of Kraken a few months ago tweeted, he was like, honestly, people should probably take their funds off the exchange because... You and know, put it onto a ledger. Yeah, instead, be, be, right? because they, they were getting regulatory pressure and basically they said that they would have to freeze assets if, you know, the government told them, told them that to. they needed to. Um, so basically, if I have $5,000 on, on Coinbase or um, Uphold or whatever it is, I can take my money off of that and put it onto a ledger and that is totally decentralized. No one can regulate it. It's just there. Yep. And technically, if you secure it right, that's like the safest way to hold any crypto, crypto or you know, something that has any t- monetary value, um, NFTs included. However, there's probably way more risks involved in doing that than holding your funds on a trusted site like Coinbase. So for most you know retail, when you get into it, using Coinbase is probably the safest way that to hold your, your funds. But um, some risks involved in trying to self-custody is if you send your funds from Coinbase to your ledger hardware device and you put punch in the wrong oh. address, you can lose all your funds and there's no 
1-800 number to call in. Have people done that? Uh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, oh, when I first, when I first got into it, I did it once and granted it, it was a test transaction. Yeah. Usually when people get into it, they're so scared about it that they'll send like $1 just to make sure it gets there. And I've done, I've done that. I mean, almost oh, everyone has. That like just made my hands sweaty thinking about like, it, it's like Venmo. When you Venmo the wrong person, yeah. someone Venmo, it was like 60 bucks. They were like, yeah, I Venmoed you. I was like, no, you fucking Yeah, No, it's me. happened to me too. Someone's, someone's Venmo me. Dude, that is like. But yeah, you can do that with a billion dollars and <laughs> infinite dollars. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So okay. that's a huge risk. Um, so fucking test run, test send before you do the actual send on a ledger. Okay. Yeah. If, if you're new to it, you know, yeah. at this point for me, I'm, I don't do that. I'm but, new to it because I still have to do that. Yeah. So when you first set it up, I would definitely recommend that. Um, also, you control what's called like the private key to these hardware devices or to really any wallet. If that private key is disclosed to anyone else, they can then access your funds. It's like 12 or 18 words, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, most people write that down, put it in a safe, do whatever to try to you know, safeguard that. If you ever lose that and then you forget like your your password to get into the wallet, then you're locked out forever. You, you How can't. do you recommend people storing that? On a piece of paper, on a Word document, um, in 12 different places? Yeah, there's a million different ways that people... Uh, different lengths that people to go to try to secure them. Uh, but the more places you put it, the more vectors of exposure. You right. Yeah. Like. So like, let's say it's a 12 word C phrase Yeah, you could write it on a piece of paper at that point, you know, there's risk of losing it or uh, it, it catching on fire or something. So I would get a fireproof bag, put it in a fireproof safe, make sure it's in a you know yeah. safe area. Um, you know, they, they do have these like steel tablets that you can actually, you know, basically engrave it or get these like little tabs that you can put the C phrase oh, on. That's, that's smart. a little bit more, fire resistant um you know some people will split yeah, it but up. then you're giving your c for you're creating engraving it and someone has your seed phrase no well it's just on a little tap it's on a like a metal tablet that you put in a safe but who engraves it you could do it yourself oh, okay. or, or right, people have go. like these little like you know tap uh like individual tabs that they got fill it, it in. oh i was gonna say holy shit if the people are just like on etsy like just send us your seed <laughs> phrase and <laughs> no. like we'll make a little uh password thing yeah, for we're, you we're never recommend <laughs> i never that. give that away to anyone okay yeah. i got you. um some people will split it up or like six words are in one area, six words are at like their parents' house or something, and then you have to combine them. So that's kind of like call them a multi-sig where you have like different people that can help you access your funds. Yep. So people go to crazy lengths to protect these things. Like some people have them in like three different locations all over the world. I mean, if you have a shitload of money, I get it. Yeah. Um, and then you can also split it up by having it on different, you know, wallets or whatever it may be. This um, is like the Da Vinci, like in 25 years, it's going to be like the Da Vinci code. Yeah. You know, people like, oh, there's like a million Bitcoin sitting in a safe somewhere. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of inherent risk of trying to self-custody yourself as well. So that's where you can't really make any recommendations to anyone individually yeah. other than like if you're going to use DeFi at all where you actually are taking your off of an exchange and using what are they called like these hot wallets like metamask um where it's just a browser extension wallet that's controlling your private key if anyone hacks into your computer like they could steal all those funds so at that point if you're gonna try to do anything in DeFi, like do on-chain transactions then yeah i would guarantee i would recommend getting a ledger and you know testing that out a little bit before got it anything okay that makes and then how does the like the ledger interact with your metamask though so the ledger actually creates its own private key and its own wallet address that protects it. So the funds aren't actually sitting on the ledger themselves. They're like sitting on chain through the private key. And it just uh, basically uses MetaMask as the UI, as the user interface to interact with these DeFi protocols. But the ledger is the one that's actually protecting uh, those funds on chain. 
and then you just manually like approve the transactions on the physical Got device. It. So even if someone steals your computer, if they don't have your ledger, they can't get it. Right. Yeah. Very and, cool. Okay. Yep. Exactly. So. Any other safety tips, advice for getting started, that sort of thing? Um, Ma major ones people mess up. Yeah. God, there's a million of them. Um, as far as like general security, um, I would definitely recommend getting like a, a VPN, um, malware protection. Uh, there's this thing called Bitwarden, which is like a password manager that I recommended you getting. Um, that's front end, back end encrypted. Um, it basically allows you to create these extremely long safe passwords or every single account that you have has its own unique password. Yeah. Um, I would try uh, Proton Mail. It's an encrypted email service as well. That's really good. Um, as far as the general risk in crypto, um, again, everything has their their tail risks. Um, everything at some point could go to zero. So just understand that. Um, and if you go back to first principles and don't overextend yourself on the beginning, all everything could come to fruition and it could go to zero. But if you invested properly and diversified yourself well, it's, it's not really a like catastrophic event for any individual person if right. they've done the first principles right, which right. is don't Absolutely. overextend. Yep. Don't overextend and definitely diversify your assets. Um, so that's not, good. Ju not just in crypto, but in general. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're in the wake of like, you know, like you said, blood in the streets, right? That's mm. like really where we're at right now with the crypto side of things. Um, how do you stay optimistic about this when something so, cause this was like a, a, big event right mm. like how would you would you compare this to like as like as big as it gets for like messy stuff in yeah it's basically as big as it gets like it's definitely a huge black eye in the industry um the equivalent is probably like there's an exchange called mount gox that i don't know years ago basically it was like the main bitcoin exchange like went under and a bunch of funds got lost uh, there's another one like called quadriga which is there's actually a netflix documentary but it's interesting where the founder basically rugged and like stole all the funds that were on it. Wow. Um, there, there's another one, uh, actually Ethereum originally. Uh, the reason why there's a Ethereum classic was because there was, um, basically the, the first like Ethereum DAO was hacked and it was holding, I think like a third of the Ethereum in circulation in there that was all hacked and stolen. So like there, there's definitely been like major black eyes in the industry, but this is definitely like one of the largest yeah, ones, especially recently. Yeah. Um, so how do you stay optimistic? How do you stay like giving a shit about this and not being like, all right. Yeah. I'm out. So a lot of people, especially when they first get into it and definitely when I first got into it too, they're just interested in making money and like, that's fine. Great. Um, guilty. I think over time people start to really appreciate the technology that's being built and really seeing the long-term vision of like how this is going to positively impact everyone's lives. Um, you know, as far as again, personally, being able to custody your own assets, uh, the censorship resistance that comes along with crypto generally, um, the sovereignty of it, and then also just like the the real world's uh, implementations of them in business and creating the, the efficiencies that you know we talked about in the first uh, section of the podcast. Yeah. So. so maybe this is a step backwards, but do you still see like where do you see things going ten years from now? Do you still are you still optimistic? you know, in the fact that this is going to be a big part of business, everyday life. Like yeah, what, what I think uh, a ton of these businesses that will um, derive from crypto will, you know, outcompete a lot of the Web2 incumbents that they're, you know, trying to disrupt currently. Yeah. I think a lot of the smart Web2 companies will 
integrate a lot of the crypto technology on the back end to make them more efficient and then supercharge, you know, their abilities and now compete, you know, their competitors. Um, so I think either way, you know, crypto is still inevitable um, when you understand the underlying technology and what's being built. Um, so, yeah, for me personally, like you said, in general, when you're investing, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets, whether that's now or six months from now, a year from now, who really knows? Um, but generally, when the markets are down 50, 60, 70 percent, that's usually a decent time to buy or at least start laddering in in any market. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean long-term next you know, two, five, 10 years, I kind of know where the industry is going. I, I do believe that the overall crypto market cap is going to be exponentially higher because this is an exponentially growing asset class and exponentially growing technology. So I just look at it from, you know, long-term, long-term. time horizon. Um, so I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable like with where the market is and I'll just continue to, you know, dollar cost average into the market as we start seeing lower prices. Um, and you know is that the advice that you'd give like well can't give advice but to the person who is like thinking about investing or getting into this and then this happens or they start worrying about a recession or what what would you tell like what would you give that like say to that person yeah so the tough thing right now is that i do think that we're already in a recession and it could get a lot worse and crypto's never seen a recession. It's it was born out of the last recession, and yeah. so it's and it, it's seen multiple massive down cycles where it's dropped ninety five percent while the traditional market was going up and making all time highs. Yeah. So now with volatility, the, it was born in volatility. Yeah. <laughs> so while the market, while the traditional market is dropping significantly, crypto is definitely uh, going down with it and it's hard to say what that's going to look like a year from now if it just continues to sell off massively or if at some point crypto starts to decouple from the traditional market and actually you know live up to some of those primitives that um or the the value that uh some of the crypto you know say DeFi, for example provides where people can take their cash that they just sold into and put it to work in DeFi and earn some type of yield that they can't do in their bank account or their brokerage account yeah at some point in the market, you might start to see that. That could be another cycle from now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what keeps me going is uh, trying to be early to the newest technologies and knowing that if I stick with it, you'll reap the benefits of the exponentially growing market. So. Yeah. Now, let's um, – I want to kind of talk about, like, talking about that 10-year horizon, where mm-hmm. this goes in the future and, like, on an optimistic, like, exciting level – where do you see this? Like, what's a big application? Like, you mentioned something about LLCs, like the future of LLCs. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you mean by that? So, there are these, thing, these things called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. It's basically a way for people to organize and um, kind of run businesses or operations. A good example of it was this thing called the Constitution DAO. Um, for mm-hmm. anyone that hasn't heard about it, uh, I don't know what it was, six months ago, there was an auction for the Constitution at Christie's um, or Sotheby's or something. And there was, I think they, they thought I've it was heard gonna, of this. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they estimated it was going to go for like 30 or $40 million uh, you know, when it sold. So there was a couple of people on crypto Twitter that were like, hey, this would be really cool if like, like, we put together a constitution DAO. Everyone across the world can put their money into this one fund and then try to buy it. And then this constitution can be like basically globally owned by all the contributors instead of just one billionaire. 
So and then we can leverage against it, sell it, do whatever. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then we can vote as like a community what to do with it, where to store it. <laughs> oh, burn it. Yeah. Psychos. So basically within like three or four days, they raised whatever it was, $40 million globally, just from thousands of contributors. I put money into it. Um, just for fun, just to see what happened. And we ended up coming in second place in the bidding uh, to some billionaire, I forgot his name. Um, I think he won it for like 42 million. You were probably like what, 38? Yeah, yeah, something like that. We actually had a little bit more in funds, but they needed like additional in reserves. So we couldn't like bid Uh, any higher. Um, But yeah, it was a a cool experiment, but it was just like an example of how- Did you get your money back? Yeah, so they ended up- (laughs) what, What percent did they take? No, they actually didn't give take any percent. So what they did was they distributed these DAO tokens, these constitution DAO tokens that then you could like sell on an exchange. Um, and they were actually worth significantly more afterwards just because of the kind of the story behind it. Cool. So yeah, I ended up making like I don't know, four or five X, whatever it was wow, in a short period shit. of time. It wasn't, granted, it wasn't a ton of money, but um, initially they were toying around with the idea of just like sending back the ETH um, to all the participants. Yeah, because that could have gone the other way too. No? Yeah, yeah, it definitely could have. Um, but it, it was just too uh, costly to send back all the ETH yeah. um, because transactions on Ethereum are expensive. So they ended up just deciding to do these uh, DAO tokens, um, which I think most people were probably made whole or made some money on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a cool experiment. And that's just, again, an example of people being able to congregate together and like with a common goal from all over the world, you know, raise funds quickly and, you know, vote on what you do with the fund. So if, if they had won it, they would have voted on where to store it, you know, maybe put it in a museum where you can raise funds by charging people to see it, you know, create some passive income from it. There's a million different ways that that could have gone. But a lot of people think that that's the future of organizations um, where they won't have these like LLC structures. They'll just be DAO structures that you can form them easier. They have no borders where it's not like a U.S. entity. It's just a global entity, basically, that anyone in the world can kind of join and be a part of something. Um, and it's uh, much more binding, technically speaking, right? Like you're locked in as opposed to just like on a piece of paper and then there's a government that enforces it. It's like... Yeah, I don't pretty know. locked in, no? I, I'm not sure about the locking in. I guess maybe. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. But there's just a lot more interesting things that you can do. It can, it's much more dynamic and fluid, which is all about what crypto is, is creating these efficiencies. Um, well, say so for like, a L, and sorry, because I've seen this before, unfortunately, where it's like two people go into a company together. And then I know a guy who just fucking took off just took off and it's like they tried enforcing it but it's like no he took his bank account he took his money and he screwed and he left the other guy yeah that's part of what the end goal is is that these are truly like autonomous organizations right now again they're more centralized but eventually the goal is to have um all the funds say for whatever this company is in this DAO structure that nobody has individual access to where they can't just steal the funds the community would have to vote on what you know how they allocate the funds um, it'd be like a multi-sig uh, wallet that controls like how, when, when you take funds out or how it gets distributed. Um, Wouldn't that cha- that could change the game of like fundraising and oh fundraising and absolutely because yeah. there's so many friggin' crooks in charity and for, you know that yeah, that's awesome. Again, everything everything's open source, so like you can see all the funds that are in this account. Yeah. Um, everyone has access to it. Um, yeah, so there's just a lot of interesting things. Like there's another fun example of uh, this. It's called the the Kraus DAO. Um, it was just a couple of basketball fans that were like, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we put a DAO together that bought an NBA team? 
and the Kraustow. They, like the, like, they're actually making like real traction on this and probably eventually they will buy an NBA team. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be yeah, just a bunch of community members that put funds together and they're going to probably go buy, buy an NBA team. That's our, I mean, already pretty much what people do. You have to put together a team anyways. You know yeah. I mean? People and think this, like Magic Johnson owns the Dodgers. It's like, no, he owns like a small percent. I think it's like five or two percent of the Dodgers. Yeah. And the thing is like how things are now um, with the credit investor accreditation accreditation laws is that really only people with you know a million dollar net worth can get access to investing in you know things like that or private and you need goodwill which yeah so this just like kind of enables anyone in the world to get access to a lot of these things now granted there's going to be you know regulation that comes in as well i think a lot of that will figure itself out over time but it's still like super early stages it's all experimental currently it's cool that's awesome yeah all right well dude uh I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Anything else you want to kind of go over? Um, no, I mean, uh, I guess that's it for now. Crazy couple fucking weeks. What's next? So what's next for you? What's next for the fund? What are we doing next? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're still just chugging along with the fund. Um, I'm kind of working on a stealth project currently um, that we have some initial interest in. Awesome. So, yeah, I talked a little bit off, uh, off, off offline. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, eventually when that's uh, when that's... When that's up and running, will up you come back and yeah, tell us yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So. That's awesome, man. And tell people how to find you, where they can get in touch with you. Yep. Uh, Twitter is the best place. Uh, it's at Nick Hayes 11. Um, yeah, that's where basically I live now. Perfect. <laughs> so. Okay. Nick Hayes 11. And then if people have any questions about crypto, if you're looking to just talk about it, learn how to invest in it, is it okay for people to reach out to yeah, you? Hit absolutely. you up on Twitter. Yep. All right. Reach out to my man. And uh, as always, Taylor Cacciola, the Namra podcast. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank thank you. you, Nick. I appreciate it. Yep.